Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. I'm Brendan Porter. With families and day jobs, we know it's hard to find time to get out there with your camera. So Brendan and I joined together and made the commitment to go out consistently and build up our landscape and astrophotography portfolios. We live in Utah and are lucky to have so many beautiful landscapes all around us. Not only do we have five national parks right here in Utah, but we are only a day or less drive away from 30 other national parks. So we created PhotogAdventures.com, this podcast, and our YouTube channel to chronicle our adventures. Come along with us to amazing places and learn from our mistakes and our successes. We hope that you will get out there too and have a photog adventure of your own. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 30, episode 3030. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so Brendan and I have been doing this now since September 8th. We started off with four podcasts right away in September 8th and then trying to be consistent every week. And now here in the second week of April, it is the 30th episode. It's uh, pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and on our 30th episode, we have a special guest talking about astrophotography. And his name is... Eric Benedetti. Yes, Eric right. Benedetti. Close enough. Close enough. <laughs> Benedetti. Better than Rice. <laughs> okay, let me try it again. Fellow Italian. Eric Benedetti. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Everybody messes up his name, so I'm glad I got it right. Like a um, spaghetti. <laughs> there you go. So uh, Eric is joining us today. He was actually born and raised in Salt Lake, um, where we currently live now, and um, but he went to Portland for ten for for eleven a while. years. Eleven years in Portland, as he went to college there and stayed there for a while. And Were now you he's trying back to find organic chickens, no. farm raised, <laughs> no, 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 open range chickens. Trying to find their their backstories uh, and their names, <laughs> their friends. I experienced um, plenty of that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sure. Let me tell you, you don't know Portland until you see goats real. on the side of the highway mowing the grass for the people. You know, oh, you know they're goats yeah. that get hired in California to do that. That's what they do in Portland. Hire goats. Awesome. I think that's freaking awesome. Yeah, it is cool. <laughs> Eric uh, is joining us tonight, and uh, he has actually sold the Nastro shot that he sold to Digital Photo <sighs> Magazine, and it was the shot of Wild Horse Cave, which is on his facebook page as well right if you go to our facebook page you see the post Aaron's we post. shared his stuff okay and it has that picture right there but if you go to his work at eric photography.com and you go to his astrophotography the cover picture for his astrophotography section yeah. is this wild horse cave awesome and eric benedetti does this awesome photography he, we all do astrophotography we're learning it and we're learning how to do stacking and stacking is a great way to get more clarity and get more color and just really bring out some sharp awesomeness in your image right. well another way to get really awesome color really crisp stars you know you don't have to deal with any star trailing is to have a tracking system on your mount so mm -hmm. your tripod has a mount that is tracking with the rotation of the earth and eric does that kind of photography for or astrophotography. So what got you into doing tracking? Did you always do tracking? No, no, no. So I started astrophotography basically the same way everybody does. You know, you see an awesome shot on Flickr or right. Instagram or whatever, and you're like, holy crap, I want to do that. You know, that was <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I got into it mainly because of my family having a cabin near Stanley, Idaho, which is an extremely dark area of the country. Where up in Stan where's Stanley, Idaho in Idaho? Like if you could put a pin in the middle of the state, like dead center, Idaho, oh, okay. that is where it is. Okay. The, I mean, Stanley is a tiny, tiny little town, maybe a hundred people. Oh, and wow. the closest city is Sun Valley and that's over an hour away. Okay. I know Sun oh, Valley. Okay. Awesome. Okay. So it's about an hour north of Sun Valley. Oh, and okay. so there's no light pollution, you know, and I, that's I've been awesome. going up there my whole life. Oh. And the one thing you notice when you go up there at night is you can see just an infinite amount of stars. Oh, isn't that freaking awesome? The Milky Way, like looks like the Milky Way, you know, you look <laughs> at it, it, 
and it's not so different than what you see in pictures. You're like, holy cow, I can actually see dust lanes and you can see <laughs> features. Wow. Uh, I mean, it, it's just incredibly dark up there. And so I've been going up there my whole life and, you know, maybe like five or six years ago, saw a cool picture on the internet and I was like, yep, I got to do that. <laughs> and I'm going to my family cabin soon. So I bought a Canon T2i, some entry nice, level. Yeah. Yep. I've had, know, had that one. You've yeah. had that one even. I bought the Takina 11 to 16 2.8 lens, which is like the same lens everybody buys. you know. <laughs> and that's what it was like from the very first picture. I was instantly addicted. Nice. And, uh, how hard was it the very first time you experienced? The you know, surprisingly, it was not that hard. I don't know why it, it was just put it on the tripod and point it at the sky and set the exposure to 30 seconds. Don't and, bump it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I didn't even have like an intervalometer or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I just, just snapped it, it and held it down with my finger, you know, and as soon as it popped up on the screen, I was like, whoa, you got to be kidding me. Like, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> you even held it down with your finger? Oh, yeah. So you really had to not move the whole time. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. It awesome. was It was fun. Um, and it's just one of those things, you know, you never forget. Right. So after that, you know, it was like uh, just years of wasting money, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a waste. Uh, yeah, this is my passion. Craft. Yeah. yeah, perfecting the craft. All of you out there, don't listen to this. This is not a waste. I was, lots of money. <laughs> you know, I was, a, it's, there's always this raging debate of like Canon versus Nikon, right? Oh, right, right. right. Yeah. So I bought, I had a Canon, I had all this Canon gear and I bought all this stuff. You and chose my dad, who was like, you know, photography buff his whole life too. <laughs> He's a Nikon guy. I was wondering. Right. He's a Nikon and, shooter. Uh, always drove him nuts. <laughs> but um, about a year or two after I started, my apartment got broken into in Portland. All my gear stolen. Wow, mm. you're just like Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> so you got did an you upgrade. Rent, did you have renter's insurance? No, I did uh. not. So I had just moved into this apartment, and um, it was in a really nice part of Portland. You know, the la- and a place you could not fathom being broken into really and and yet they found a way and i had this crazy door like metal door freaking <laughs> broke through it and it was insane so anyways i was hmm. just devastated any you know? reason why you were a target did you no. have any nope. idea okay nope no, they have just... a roommate that was yelling at people and threatening and saying, no. rob him no my roommate <laughs> was just totally unsuspecting you know <laughs> no nothing person and did your roommate do it <laughs> <laughs> actually it's funny we had like yeah, you know, the, the police came in and fingerprinted everything. You know, oh, yeah. they're like, "Well, the fingerprints don't match." The <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <sighs> Good, the insurance claim will work out perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, after that, you know, I was pretty devastated, I guess, because I, you know, I did research and I didn't make a lot of money up there, so I'd already invested basically mm. what I had in that equipment, and I was like, well. That's that, I, you know. I, you felt like giving up at that point. Yeah. Huh? Oh, totally. I was like, I'm done. There's no way I can drop another two thousand dollars on <laughs> equipment. And mm-hmm. um, how did you get it's from slow growth? Right. I mean, it builds up. You build up. Your yeah. yeah. And you feel and, really good about it. Yeah. And, and you lose and it. So, like, after you know a year or two of just putting a whole bunch of time and effort into this, mm-hmm. it was just all taken away. How did but, you go from I just got robbed to have zero dollars in equipment to I have something that's expensive and extra that most people don't even own with their camera my equipment? My dad. 
<laughs> so, so the mercy now, now the mercy guy. happens oh you are yeah how did that discussion go was he just like okay i'll get you a new camera but no 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 it wasn't setting you straight it, it wasn't like that at all it was like he had old you know an old nikon d200 and uh you know he had several cameras that over the years, he just grown out of, and so uh, he just okay. set yeah. one of those. Take right. one okay. of these bodies. And so I switched it. to Nikon. Nice. <laughs> You'll nice. never get robbed with a Nikon. Oh, no. <laughs> Nobody will expect the Nikon. <laughs> but it was good. You know, I ended up after that. It wasn't long after that that I moved back to Utah and uh, got a much better paying job, which makes buying expensive things like tracking mounts yeah a exactly to do. <laughs> um, up in portland you had stars but not a milky way right i mean nothing close by just too much light pollution well yeah i mean portland is a pretty big city it's oh, probably yeah. twice as big as salt lake mm-hmm. and so you know here you have also the advantage of mountains right like you can i can drive to rockport which is only 30 miles away and i can get some pretty amazing milky way pictures up there Portland, there's no mountains to shield light pollution in any capacity. And so, you know, you can drive to like Mount Hood, which is about an hour, and you can get some pretty sweet shots up there. But it's still, you know, that's kind of like the minimum driving distance here. Mm. Here you can get away with a good half hour and you'd be okay. You can get some good pictures. That's true. So you got equipment again and you got yourself to Utah where you have a lot more dark sky. Did you get immediately into astrophotography or were you another type of photographer at first? In fact, I... I don't know what it is like other types of photography. I don't want to sound snobby or anything, but it just kind of <laughs> bore me. Like, and I think it's cause the challenge of doing astrophotography is very unique, right? Yeah, like, yeah. In terms of camera settings and equipment and knowing how to use that equipment. It, Tiny window every month to actually oh, do it. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's another funny story I could tell you about. Um, <laughs> do it right now. I, when I first moved back here in October, 2014, um, I planned a trip to Bryce Canyon in January, 2015. Okay. And I had not a lot of experience in terms of like the timing of oh. the Milky Way. So I drove down there, froze my butt off, and <laughs> turns out you can't see the core of the Milky Way in January. Uh, <laughs> oh, it was still a good trip though. But yeah. yeah, just like I had all these sweet plants. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get these great shots from the awesome. canyon. And I'm like slipping and falling on my butt down the canyon and like, oh yeah, you can't see the core of the Milky Way. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what everyone realizes first is that you start researching it, you look at it and you realize, oh, wait a sec, the Milky Way isn't always up yeah i mean yes it is but the core is not yeah and you learn that there's this season when it shows up and they're seasoned in the southern hemisphere too and they're kind of similar where the you still just don't see it around january it's it's crazy i still can't wrap my head around so you know when we look at the core from the northern hemisphere you see like an arch right yep and so top of the it kind of it rises like an arch, and then later in the year it's almost straight vertical, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the southern hemisphere, it's almost the exact opposite. It rises vertical, and then later in the year it becomes an arch. <laughs> and so it, it, as cliche as it sounds, it it looks like it's upside down, right? When you look right. at pictures yeah. of the Milky Way from the southern hemisphere, you're like, oh, that's kind of weird. Like the Ro'ofuki complex is like inverted of what I normally look at. <laughs> It just, I, it's hard to wrap my head around yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's trippy. Yeah. It is really mystifying. I always, the earth is flat. I always thought this <laughs> giant, 
Here we go. Now, you're not really a flat earther, because if you say this, you're going to lose <laughs> all just credibility. A, just, <laughs> just a rub him. Brendan has once shared with me a conspiracy story, and so now he ribs me with all conspiracy stories, and so he looks, he just likes to mess with it's me. It's part of my fun. And we have 8, 10, 12-hour uh, drives and 16-hour boredom moments before the next shoot. <laughs> we get a chance to talk about all sorts of junk. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're back in Utah, you're doing photography, and you decide... What was the catalyst that said, you know what, this stationary tripod is boring. I want to have a very expensive moving one. I mean, what was it that made you think so tracking? If you go on Reddit, there's a very active user on Reddit. His name is Roger Clark. Yeah, Roger Clark, the guy who wants every Milky Way to never be blue. Yep, <laughs> and he is a NASA physicist, and ah, he's involved purist. in <laughs> some pretty incredible stuff for NASA. He's an awesome guy. I love him. But he's also yeah. very like, he. He's, I didn't know who he was when he first approached me in a forum and basically <laughs> berated me for sharing a picture yep. without stating clearly that this picture is an artistic representation of the Milky Way and oh. not a factual representation. And so we went back and forth and I thought he was just trolling me. I thought he was a 17-year-old troll or a 34-year-old <laughs> jerk troll when he first made his first comment. And then he continued on with a little bit more education. And I was like, okay, this guy is for real. He's just also kind of... Abrasive. Yeah. <laughs> he's, uh, I think he's a well-meaning guy. Right. Uh, he's very traditionalist, and uh, but he's incredibly smart, and I think he suffers from the same problem that a lot of incredibly smart mm, people do: tact. is they they <laughs> lack, you know, the social, and that's not to discredit him. I think he, you know, his information's perfect. Yes, and the same exact experience happened to me. I posted this <laughs> very blue picture on Reddit, and. <laughs> Sure Slam. is the freaking night is dark. You know, he's like, oh, this is wrong. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> you know, and I tried to be all like, oh, I've been doing this for like two years. I know what I'm doing, you know, and he's like, no, <laughs> he, he um, shook my confidence during that conversation, but I, I handled it well and I've recovered. Yeah. So that was pretty, <laughs> I think not to get like super serious, but that I think is what a lot of people need to, when they get into photography or astrophotography, you know, they generally have a concept of how to do astrophotography and it's based off of the vast majority of tutorials or whatever mm -hmm. they read, having the same ideas. And Roger Clark has very, very different ideas and very, very different ways of going about executing those ideas. And when you have somebody say, not to be blunt, but your picture's crap, <laughs> you know, and that's Ouch. essentially what he told me. Mm -hmm. Most people are going to be like, they, you know, they react, they, yeah. they reject. And, um, <laughs> you know, in the, in the age of social media, it's all about likes and being told, you know, people yeah, like your picture. Reinforcement, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. you know, sometimes to be the, the freaking downer in the room, you got to say, Hey, you know, your pictures kind of suck, you know, and, <laughs> And it took a lot for me to say, actually, maybe he's right. But the scientist in me was like, yeah, you got to listen to this. You know, you have to at least take into account all you can't expect your one point of view to be right all the time. There's right, right. going to be times where you're wrong and, you know, you need to accept that. And so that's what I did. And uh, I went to Roger's website and actually this was a couple of years ago. And so Roger's website isn't nearly as, wasn't nearly as detailed as it is now. It's overwhelmingly detailed. <sighs> it took me probably like 15 times of reading 
all the tutorials on his website before it sunk in. Right. Whoa. He goes into things like, that's because you're using a multiply here. And when you do this, it's actually subtracting by multiplication. You're like, what are you talking about? I mean, I turned the slider in Lightroom from left to right. And he's like, well, that does a division multiplication. He's like, what are you saying? I mean, the level of technical stuff on yeah. his tutorial page is like, if that's the first thing you read, good on you <laughs> and take your time like mm. read it and read it and read it and then go outside and practice and practice and practice and then go back and read it because <laughs> it is beyond it's not your ian norman lonely spec you know love ian norman great stuff mm -hmm. and good for beginners and i tell you know a lot of beginners who are like oh how do you go about doing this i'm like read ian norman's stuff cruise through it and then go to Roger Clark's website mm. and spend. So if you spend an hour on Ian Norman's website, spend 10 hours on Roger Clark's website, you know, <laughs> and, that's, and that's what happened, you know, and it, wow. eventually reading through Roger's website, he brought up, um, sky tracker mount an ioptron sky tracker. Mm -hmm. I was like, Hmm, I wonder what that is. And, five seconds of Googling and $300 later, you know, <laughs> you've got one coming yeah. <laughs> and the rest is history. As um, a guy who worked in the video game industry and played video games all his life, he see, I see things a little bit like a video game where you have the beginning stages and you have these tiers of, of progress and advancement. And then you get to your end game. When it comes to astrophotography, I had this end game of getting my photography to the point to where I am doing more what Roger Clark recommends, where I have to, you know, like you're saying, the tracker is required just so that I can actually get those colors out and get mm. that kind of clarity because I can't do it with the 30 second under 30 second timer. I, I know that I can get there and I'm going to get there eventually, but I'm going to enjoy the game in all levels. I love my mm. starter zone. Yeah. I love my level then they're intermediate when I start getting some really cool gear, really cool stuff. And I'm gonna play stacking this year. I'm gonna play stacking and some tracking and just get myself there keeping with what I have. And I'm okay with being that beginner to intermediate level to intermediate to advanced level before I get to the end game of Roger Clark's perfect Milky Way representation every time. You know what's mm. funny is in the two years I've been doing the Sky Tracker stuff, I, I would thought I was the same way. I was like, well, this is going to be an end game. You know, this is going to be the end all. No, man, there's it, more beyond uh, it. It, it. You can, that's good. news. I it, it's a rabbit hole. It really mm. is a rabbit <laughs> hole. And it's funny. Now I'm doing telescope work, right. And I'm mm -hmm. chasing that rabbit. And th there are hobbyists who do telescope stuff that spend $50,000 and they're still hobbyists. They're right. amateurs. They're not professionals. And that's like, yeah, I man. think everybody, they get to a point where they're like, okay, I want a picture published. You know, they have this kind of fantasization that they're going to be a published photographer. I'm like, you know, I had a picture published. Sure. Fine. But after that happened, I was kind of like, that's actually not the end game for me. For me, it's just, there's a never ending amount of stuff you can try and do with this hobby <laughs> and a sky tracker is just one of those things. And if it if it works for you, fine. If it doesn't, there's 50 other ways to skin the cat, you know? Absolutely, and that's the brilliant yeah. part and the beautiful part of this hobby is that no matter how good your knees are or how good your situation is when you're 80, you can still do it, and I'm okay to have the rest of my life to try and go down that rabbit hole and You know, enjoy I've it. seen pictures from guys who are in wheelchairs and doing astrophotography. I'm like, okay. If this guy is permanently bound by a wheelchair and he can do this, anybody can do this. Mm -hmm. All right. That's <laughs> awesome. I mean, this guy's going out in the middle of the night, 
you know, in a wheelchair, <laughs> setting up telescopes, setting up his camera and his tracking mount or whatever and taking pictures. And that's cool. That's dedication. Yeah. 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 Well, let's go ahead and take our first break of the podcast and then we'll come back and ask a couple listener questions to Eric. And then we'll talk more about the specifics of what it means to do tracking software photography. And here's some of the cool stories he has going out there and doing it. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. We're hanging out with Eric Benedetti, and we've been talking about his image from Wild Horse Cave. Wild Horse Cave, right? Yeah. Wild Horse Cave. And we've been talking about his image from Wild Horse Cave that was picked up by Digital Photo Magazine. So that image, was that some was that your first time at that area, or was this something you've gone no. back to before? Um, well, I hadn't been there to shoot before, but I've been going. It's down by Goblin Valley. I don't oh, know if, okay. if you know where, where it is. Oh, yeah, Goblin Valley. But where? Like near Hanksville? Or no, is no, it? no. So uh, when you drive into Goblin Valley... There's like the main road and then you turn left off the main road to go to the to, park. Like that intersection, that little T intersection The one that goes there. to the campground or the one earlier than that? No, the one earlier than that. So where it goes from paved to unpaved. Yep. Okay. Um, right around there, if you just pull off the road there and then hike up into the swell. Yep. Okay. At the top of the swell is... Uh, that cave. We're going to oh. be there in May or June, so let's do it. Let's check it so out. Yeah. that cave faces southeast, like just perfectly. So <laughs> I think I was down there in uh, beginning of April last year, and that's when that it lined up perfectly. It's a very short Ooh. window, um, you know, and it's kind of a pain in the behind carrying all your gear up there <laughs> oh i bet it's, especially if you're doing the tracking it's exhausting man i tell you i must have hauled about 40 pounds of gear up that cave Ooh. and it's <laughs> you know when you do it as a day hike it's only maybe a mile up and uh, about a mile up and the elevation gains maybe like 600 feet so it's not too mm -hmm. bad it's just a decent little hike but mm -hmm. man when it's at night and i tell you there <laughs> are drops if you're not paying attention there are 100 foot drops you know, you'll, you just walk off a cliff and that'd be the that'd end be of it. you. Wow. <laughs> and oh, it's gosh. like in the middle of night, amateurs. you know, and so you're carrying 40 pounds of gear up there. <laughs> and actually that night when I took that shot, it was cloudy when I started hiking and I wasn't sure it was going to clear up. And so hoping. Yeah. Hoping so I got about halfway up the swell and I set up my other camera to do time-lapse. I noticed as, as, just finishing setting up that camera, the clouds started to clear. So I was like, well, I might as well hike the rest of the way up. Right. And so that's I, the hardest part with that photography is just keeping your, your willpower yeah. to see the clouds. <laughs> you know, and when I first started doing astrophotography, I would be like, I'd go outside and be like, okay, it's cloudy. I'm not going to go out tonight. <laughs> but last year, when I like really took the time to be dedicated, yeah, I decided no matter what, cloudy or not, I'm going to go out. And really, I, I tell you what happened though, like more often than not, the clouds cleared at least for some part of the night and I was able to get some pictures. <laughs> that's encouraging. And so that's what I, you know, I try to tell people now. I'm like, if it's cloudy, like don't be dismayed completely. Like you can always practice other things. Like you can practice taking your foreground exposures or whatever, you know, right. true that comp, you know, compositing a, a cool foreground or you can scout a location at night. Cause you know, you look at a place during the day, it's not always going to look the same at night. Right. It might yeah. not be as interesting as you think. So, you know, even if it's cloudy, like it was that night, I was like, well, I'm just going to try it. And so you don't see a single cloud in the image. Now, of course, this is yeah. looking through two tiny eyes of the cave. And so yeah, it's not like so, you can see the whole sky, but 
And actually, to get the Milky Way at that angle, it was pretty tough because I was like in the very back corner and like hunched down. <laughs> oh, yeah, we've been there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it was cool. Like, you know, I hiked up there. It was still early enough in the night that the core was visible through this gap. Is that the only time of the season that it is? Have we already missed it being Mason? No, I th- well, I mean, it. you know, the core will rise earlier every night. And I imagine you could probably see it until maybe... May, mid-May, maybe late May. Because at that point, you know, after sunset, the core is already above the horizon. It starts high. And by the time it gets true astro dark, it's pretty high up and it might be too late. So We should make an effort to get up there. Yeah. Wow. It's a cool place. I tell you, even during the day, it's a really cool place. That looks like a huge cave, too. I mean, you're like So you can see, yeah. Yeah, you can see me for scale. (laughs) Like, when I took the pictures... Uh, I, the first pictures I took, I did not sit on that log. I mm. wanted just like, you know, a picture of the cave. And I'm like, well, you can't really grasp the scale of the cave. Right. Cause it is right. a huge cave. Did the and, magazine uh, take the image with you in it? Or yeah. did they crop you out? No, no, no. They took me, they took the one with me in it. Uh, and, sometimes uh, I think that that's the only way is having someone in your image. So it's funny. It like it definitely helps. To, I when I post yeah. to social media, you know, I definitely get more feedback on pictures that are like, selfies you know quote-unquote selfies mm-hmm. <laughs> um with you and for i'm very like a pure not purist in the sense that roger clark is purist <laughs> i'm like right i like my pictures natural so i don't do like here i did a lot of you know low level lighting like roy's talked about mm-hmm. you know very i use tiny little puck lights that you buy it you know, i was gonna fred ask you what you did for lighting so it was puck lights from fred Meyer. yeah the ones you stick just on cupboards you know that you can mm-hmm. barely even see so those work fantastic so the um, color of the yellow is a color cast from the light the cave is pretty i mean it's red rock right so the cave is already pretty orangish yellowish and then the the lights i used were a mix of a mix of uh white led and yellowish LED. okay gotcha nice so the are. colors aren't overly exaggerated actually i think i had to tone down the saturation i can it imagine was just a little oversaturated and since it's in a cave you know using a tracking mount you have to be able to see the north star um and so that was something i thought of earlier in the night i was like well how am i going to polar align the tracking mount yeah so what did you do the tracking mounts are great because they come with um a latitude adjustment knob. And so you can adjust the latitude that your your scope will point at. So if you know the latitude of where you're shooting, you can set the latitude adjustment of your mount. Oh. And we're talking simply looking at your GPS on your phone when it says here's yep. your longitude and latitude, yep. and you know just type in the first part of the digits or the entire, right. all the six or how well, many so you're Well, so on the mount, you know, there's the knob, and then around the knob there are digits and so i think it it ranges from like 15 to 60 okay i think that's kind of the range they recommend using the mount and in terms of your latitude okay and so earlier in the night you know i polar aligned the mount i leveled my tripod as much as possible and polar aligned the mount and just marked on the mount and what i did is i then obscured my vision of the north star and i took a compass and I just used the compass to find true north oh. and then realign my mount using the markings that I had put on the mount for my latitude. And this is the test away yep. from this location. Yep. Okay. And mm. it worked pretty well. So if you use a wide angle lens, the tracking mounts are much more forgivable. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And so these pictures were only a minute, 
you know, I usually do exposures with the tracking mounts two to five minutes at like ISO 800. Mm -hmm. And so for these, I just kind of, I did it ISO 1600 and did one minute and that was good enough. You know, you can't really see a lot of noise there. No, not at all. And the significance of doing a tracking mount still is because you wanted the Milky Way image that you're capturing to have the same clarity as your other tracked images. Because um, I mean, you have a foreground here that's obviously not going to move. And so you had to keep that separate yep. from the capture of the Milky Way. And then you also wanted to have the Milky Way be captured through stacked tracked images. You couldn't just do so a single shot. So this was just single exposure. You know, I didn't even do any stacking or anything. It was just one exposure. So one exposure of one minute for your Milky Way. Yep. Ah, that looks great. And so yeah. that's kind of the hard thing is the hardest part for putting this picture together, right? So the untracked foreground, when you stitch together, this is all blurry, right? Cause the, right. Um, the star is star trailing. But when you do the tracked portion of this sky, the edges here are very blurry. And actually, and bleed into this, the image. this picture of the sky is a little bit smaller than um, of the foreground. You had to and crop so, over the fuzzy parts. Yeah. And so I had to, like, you know, warp it a little bit to hide those the blurry foreground portions and align it. That was definitely the hardest part was aligning the, just this ring, you know, of, yeah. of the stars. Mm. And actually, it's kind of funny when you look here. So what I ended up doing was I took... You know, all I took the picture of the the Milky Way first because it was aligned perfectly. Gotcha. Timing issue. And I wasn't gonna take a picture of the stars here, and so I had taken all. I took the Milky Way, and then I took all the pictures of the foreground. Okay, so if you guys aren't looking at this picture while we're talking, <laughs> he has a cave in here where there's two windows: a larger eye-shaped window where it's right next to him. It's large, large, and then above him is in the higher part of the sky, higher part of the sky where you can see other section of sky and see some of the Milky Way. So you're saying yeah. you captured the window below, the larger window first, first and then I took all the foreground pictures, and then. Once I took the pictures that encompassed the smaller hole above me, I was like, oh, I can actually see stars through there. Oh. But by the time, you know, it took me close to half an hour, 45 minutes to capture all these other That's pictures. That's why the Milky Way is a different angle. And so it doesn't align perfectly. And that <laughs> always kind of drove me nuts a little bit. I was like, you know, that goes back to the purist, right? When I'm looking at a picture, I'm like, <laughs> and someone even commented on that. They're they like, saw it. Yeah, they're like, how come that region of the Milky Way that's in the very edge there, how come that doesn't align with the core? And I was like, Dang, uh, somebody noticed. You out, yeah. <laughs> There's always somebody out there. <laughs> someone called me out for having the stabilizer on on the 7300 during my tripod shot of the Valley of Fire video. And I was like, I know I filmed mm. from that side so you can see it. And I was just hoping no one would. And I'm like, ah, the rat, someone saw it. So Dana, Dana, you saw it. The internet's a fickle place. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll kill you catch you on anything so so we want to go into some of the nuts and bolts of tracking and how to use tracking software how to use the tracking mount and we'll answer some of those nuts and bolts through these questions that came from listeners on the listener facebook listener group so let's go ahead and ask a couple of these questions and see what they answer and then brendan and i will fill in some of the gaps and questions that we have. Okay. So Dylan Waldron says that, first off, you have some amazing work. So he's asking about some of the specific mounts that he knows of for tracking software or for tracking. And he notices the Ioptron, the Skywatcher, or Celestron tracking mount. And he's curious what are some of the pros and cons of those three, if you know them, sure. and which ones maybe you would recommend that's currently in the market. He has an Ioptron, the original Ioptron. Mm -hmm. And right now with the current market, what would you recommend that people get? So when I, my first tracking mount was the Ioptron Sky Tracker, the original version, which was a very 
good lightweight mount for wide angle astrophotography. Um, hmm. Okay, so only wide angle photography. Typically. I used my Tamron 150 to 600 lens on it and got a pretty awesome shot of um, the Orion Nebula. Uh-huh. But that mount, I think, had significant design flaws. Um, it was uh, a number of times I used it and I would set it up and I would come back to find my camera body smacking into the side of the mount. And that was because the body design of the mount itself just gets in its own way. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Jeez. And so, um, and the, the design of the polar scope was such that if you weren't paying attention very easily, the, your camera body would hit the polar scope. Oh, what's the polar scope? So the polar scope is how you align a Polaris. Okay. You need, it's just a small finder scope, um, you know, something you would look on like a rifle. And it's know? basically attached to the tracking mount yep. and you can have your camera get rotated into it. Yes. And that's happened to me several times. Yeah. Doesn't anybody use the things they design? Well, Holy that's kind of, you know, and so after that happened probably a half dozen times to me, I'm just like, okay there's got to be something better. And so that's when I found the Skywatcher star adventure. Aww. So the Skywatcher star adventure is the device that you had out there at the presentation yes. with Royce. The one that mm-hmm. I unfortunately only ever did a fuzzy focus on it. Cause at the time I was so cur- concerned about getting you and folks before you started talking. So I was afraid you might start the presentation and I would miss you, but man, I wish I would have gotten a nice, like focus on that and then fuzzed into you. That'd have been fantastic. Yeah. So when you guys see that, like, monstrosity of black that's focused in the front between the camera and Eric. That's his Skywatcher <laughs> Star Adventure. Star Adventure. Star Adventure. Yep. Was this written by 1950s comic artist? I mean, <gasps> Star Adventure. Well, Ioptron Sky Tracker. Like, <laughs> there's also the Astro, Ta- Astro Tracker or something like that. The there's Astro a lot Tracker. Vixen Polaris. Bounty Hunter. <laughs> yeah. Like the Vixen Polaris is the one that Royce uses. <laughs> and the Vixen the Vixen Polaris is essentially the same body design as the original Ioptron Skytracker. With the same design flaws? Um, yes and no. Okay. So yes, and that the body is like very long. And so if you're not paying attention and if you just leave your camera and lens on there and take exposures for a long time without adjusting it, you could smack, your lens could like smack the body. Oh mm. gosh. <laughs> and you could actually break your, your bait. Well, y- what you'd probably end up happening was the worm gear would burn out on the, Oh, okay. Oh yeah. But uh, then you're just throwing your $350 mount away. <laughs> right. That's fine. $350. I got lots of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so then what are the pros so and cons of your Skywatcher star venture? The star adventure has a much more compact body design. So it, it's mm. impossible for the camera to hit any part of the mount. It's clearing it from the very beginning. Yes. Okay. Um, And actually, Ioptron has released a new version of the Sky Tracker, which is more or less a carbon copy of the Skywatcher Star Adventure. Um, They're like, oh, that's how we should have designed (laughs) it. Well, I mean, I guess it's good that they actually listen to their consumers and like, yeah, this is a huge design flaw. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the Star Adventure has a lot of advantages that, the sky tracker does not have and that it's kind of like an intermediary mount between something you would put a telescope on like a real heavy duty tracking mount you know something that weighs 50 pounds and you know is not something that mobile. weighs 50 pounds can go on it or it itself no, weighs it 50. itself weighs yikes my my tracking mount for my telescope with the tripod and the counterweights probably 60 pounds 
So this and is my so, weight loss program. Is become <laughs> it's a, a guy beast. Who owns one of those. It's a beast to haul around, and that is probably <laughs> the lightest in terms of what? telescope tracking mounts. Oh yeah. So like the mount above that one, <gasps> just the head of the mount is forty five pounds, not including <laughs> the counterweights and the tripod, which are probably another forty five pounds. <laughs> and that's because people probably just keep it in their backyard or install it sure. somewhere They're and they not, leave it there. You know, those aren't things that you're throwing in your backpack to go camping. Yeah. Yeah. Hike no. up to Wild Horse Cave in no. the dark. No, and that's, you know, with the Star Adventure, you can break it down into very small pieces. How small are we talking? So the body itself is uh, maybe four inches long, five inches tall and three inches wide. And that's actually could fit in one of our pockets in the camera bag typically. Mm. Oh yeah. Easily. Mm. And then, nice. you know, you, you have a, you have a base that it sits on and that's only a few inches tall and a few inches wide. And then I have a bracket, um, that attaches to it, a declination bracket. It's called, I mm. highly recommend that if you buy Is it like an L bracket, but yes, it allows, okay. it's essentially, it's an L bracket like this. And then your camera, <laughs> I can't describe it because we're on a podcast right now. Um, Get descriptive and detailed with your voice anyways, and words. Yeah, if you just, if <laughs> you, use your words. If you Google deck, <laughs> if you Google Star Adventure, make sure you buy the Astro package with the declination bracket ah. and the counterweight. Okay. That sounds very overwhelming. Just know that it's in the show notes. We will put it in there and have all this information for you so yeah, that you don't have to do memorize this. all these crazy terms. Just know to look in the show notes. So the, <laughs> one of the best thing about the Star Adventure is that the polar scope is built into the body of the mount. Mm. So there's no way that the camera can hit it or anything like that. And the polar scope is really high quality. It's much, much higher quality than the ioptrons. High enough quality that you can use it to see some deep sky objects and locate them in the sky like you would on a finder scope and telescope. Yeah, you could probably use it to look at maybe Andromeda, Orion. Some of the brighter deep sky objects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you wouldn't see any detail. You'd just be like, oh, that's you Andromeda or Orion, you know. Yeah. Um, it's but, mostly just a point at Polaris? Yes. Okay. Uh, and it has a great built-in reticule, so it's very easy to align once you get I was going to say, do you have to calibrate it? it? Um, no. Well, I didn't. Um, they give you calibration instructions um, in case it does, like, if it's mm, during shipping, you know, if it like crazy jostling, yeah, and it comes out of position. Um, and it's not too hard. I read the instructions; are like they're pretty simple. <laughs> That's refreshing. Um, but so the polar scope's built in. So if you buy the photo package of the Star Adventure, what it does is it comes with this little bracket, and you attach your camera to it, and then you attach it to the Star Adventure. Well, that bracket blocks the polar scope. So if you polar align it and then throw your stuff onto the mount chances are you're going to screw up your polar alignment. Like, you know, it's just, hmm. just the act of manipulating the mount is going to throw it off. You oh, know? wow. Um, it's hands off once you set up. Well, so if you buy the Astro package and you buy the declination bracket, you can put the bracket on, you can put your camera on the bracket, and then you can still use the polar scope. Mm. So if you screw up the polar alignment, you can just, you know, get everything aligned how you want it in terms of the camera and your composition or whatever. And then you can go back to the polar scope and adjust that and make sure it's perfectly aligned. Oh my gosh. I am getting overwhelmed and I'm excited about this. People who were kind of on the fence about this are probably thinking, oh, I can't do that for two more years. It's, I tell you what, it sounds complicated. Yeah. And if you buy one, I just recommend taking it out in your driveway. It doesn't matter if you're in a city because you can always see Polaris. You know, it's bright right, enough. Yeah. Right. Just practice, man. Just take it out in your driveway, set it up a few times, and 
you know, practice putting your camera on it and trying not to script the polar alignment or whatever. And hmm. it, it, it sounds complicated, but I guarantee you, you do it twice. Like it takes me five minutes, not even five minutes to set everything up from taking it out of my camera bag and having it ready to take pictures. That's a nice. relief. That's good. It sounds yeah. complicated, but if you can do it in five minutes, you can learn it yeah. after a few tries. Mm -hmm. So just for our, the sake of our South African and Australian listeners, you mentioned the Southern Cross is where you want to point, and what part of the Southern Cross? Um, actually, Octans is Octans a constellation is the that is used in the Southern Hemisphere to find the Southern Celestial Pole. Okay. Mm. I... Um, from people who have used tracking mounts, um, Mikey Mack. I don't know if you've heard of his him. His name is Mikey Mack? Uh, is it's that his? McEvin. McEvin, I think, is his last name. Mikey Mike, McEvin? Yeah. Uh, he takes fan... I think he's the best astrophotographer uh, for nightscapes in the Southern Hemisphere. And then he's a rapper at night? <laughs> <laughs> Mikey McEvin? Whoa, whoa, whoa. He's a real DJ. <laughs> it hurts his feelings. And he wears a helmet, and it's an anonymous DJ. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though, he's fantastic. And he uses a tracking mount, and, you know, I've had some conversations with him, and it is extremely difficult to precisely find the southern celestial pole. Unfortunately, yeah, they don't have, I mean, the procession right now is oriented towards Polaris. It's not oriented towards anything in the southern hemisphere. It has a wobble. Yeah, and the constellations aren't as clear. You know, if you're having trouble finding Polaris, the easiest thing to do is look at the Big Dipper and right. use the last two stars. Bing, bing, and, bing. You know, yeah. I can find Polaris within 10 seconds. It's not the brightest the star in the sky no. by far, but it is no. visible in a light polluted area. Yeah, there are the a number of constellation hallmarks that can be used to guide you to Polaris very, very easily. Yeah. 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 Southern hemisphere just doesn't have that. Huh. And, uh, when you look, so when you look in the reticule, this is another advantage of the star adventure. When you look in the reticule, if you're in the Southern hemisphere, they've actually, um, when you look through the scope, the polar scope, they've actually put in the scope, Octans, the constellation. Oh, okay. And so if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you know, that's the easiest way they tell you how to polar align in the Southern Hemisphere. You just bring that. those. You just match. align up. You, so they're little circles for each star of octans, and then you just put your octan stars in those circles. Well, that's brilliant. That's way to handle that. That's and great. So, you know, that's one advantage of the, of star, the star adventure. adventure. The Sky well, Tracker doesn't have that kind of set up. So quickly, the third one is option. Then we'll go to the next question. So you got one minute. Do you have any information on a Celestron tracking mount? Now I have a Celestron telescope that has a go-to feature. It's not the same, but it is the same in essence. And so what do you think about Celestron tracking mount? Isn't yours a Celestron? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I couldn't tell you. They're a little cheaper thing. and I don't know, they're cumbersome. It's bulky. The yeah. one I have is bulky. Not that his is small, but it doesn't break down like that. No. So if it's anything like my uh, Sirius tracking mount, which I use for the telescope, it's much more oriented towards using telescopes. Mm, yeah, um, and, I bet that's the case. You know, it comes with like a an actual tripod, like a metal tripod, and 
At least that's how my Sirius was. Yeah, ours was just off the base, but I think that's what it is. But it has a tripod mount. You could screw a tripod to the bottom of it. So the major yeah. con of the Celestron mount is that it's not a Skywatcher Star Adventure. <laughs> so yeah, it's, just, not, it's not very um, portable. Uh, you know, it's I wouldn't, not compact. I wouldn't want to say one way or the other if it's a bad or a good mount. I just don't have an experience. So Dylan, yeah. there's a neutral feeling on that one. Definitely recommending the Skywatcher Star Adventure because I know that you're moving to Southern Hemisphere pretty soon, right, Dylan? Okay, maybe not. Oh. He's in Canada, so he's he's in Vancouver. <laughs> So he's not going down to the Southern Hemisphere anytime soon. He's got awesome Aurora where he's at. Uh-huh, yeah. So let's go to the next question. It comes from Kathy Hennehan, and she asks, is it possible to get any decent long exposures using a barn door tracker? I Absolutely. Bet- okay, so explain to me what a barn door tracker is. She knows more than I do in this. So a barn door tracker is just a homemade, uh, I guess you could call it a wedge device, and it's just hand-driven. And, oh. and so... You imagine like a yeah so it imagine like a wedge it kind of opens up like a book right okay and there's a screw that sits in here and um the the you have a controller and the controller raises the wedge along that screw uh-huh. and so i i've seen people with homemade barn door trackers and take 10 minute exposures yeah. so they're sitting there for 10 minutes cranking it at the right pace sure like, and this is the speed of the earth rotation. And I mean, this I've seen people who have motorized them too, you know, and made their Why own not? little yeah. motors and mm-hmm. put them on there. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not terribly hard. That's that's right. awesome. Yeah. So, that's I mean, cool. you're, limit, you're limited only in your imagination, right? Oh, your, man. Right, awesome. Ability to. I'm sorry to interrupt because Kathy's rest of her question said she just built one and she's taking on her trip as she comes here to Utah. She's over there in oh, Chicago. Cool. She's coming out here to Utah in a couple of weeks and she's going to be here for three weeks and she's bringing one with her and she's wondering if it's worth trying or if she should just do single shots. But it sounds like it's definitely Try worth it. trying. And mm. if it's not, How if does it's she, not a burden to travel with that thing, I would definitely try it. How does mm. she get the right speed down do you have anything there's like a, a famous song that she sings while she does it like the, i honestly when you're doing cpr yeah, on someone CPR. i actually <laughs> think it's uh related to the thread pattern on the screw i want to say like so the speed is based on the screw she used i, I think so i don't quote me on that i haven't used one before uh, you heard it here first he says the screw is <laughs> <laughs> the screw is exactly the pace yeah but I, I that think, makes sense though. i think that it's just make, practice yeah. you know uh, I've, like I said, I've never used one. It really just comes down to her basically cranking at a certain pace and seeing how the picture turns out. If everything's still, she's like, okay, that's the right pace. Sure. Pick it up, slow it down, basically, kind of a yeah, trial and error. Yeah, yeah I think so. All right. Sure. Kathy, dang. I mean, this will cool. be awesome. Try that out and let us know how it goes because that'd be awesome to feature on the podcast and see how it went. And just because I want to feed more of your ego because you're awesome, uh, she says, I'm looking at his link right now, and all I can say is, wow. She's looking at your website. And she goes, it looks like I have something to read at work for a couple of days. So apparently nice. she's not going to get much work in. <laughs> Good luck or maybe that. that's in break. I Sorry, Kathy. It's probably during a break. for you getting fired. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I added that part. I'm pretty sure Kathy's going to be Astro. just doing it over breaks, and <laughs> she has nothing to do during work. Oh, I said that wrong. She, she will not be doing this during work. So thanks, Dylan and Kathy, for your questions. For Eric, Rob Ryan says that there's a location that you have on your website that we're definitely going to go. He's been wanting to go there. And he was kind. He was a little bummed, actually. He's like, well, I had an idea for the same photo. He had this idea for the same photo, the composition that you had, and he was going to do that. And now he sees that you've already taken it. It takes a little bit of the excitement out of it, I don't, guess. Don't let it. <laughs> I can't, you know, part of doing this hobby is using photos for inspiration right mm-hmm. right and I'm, I'm telling you there are so many pictures i've taken where i saw the same composition right on the internet i'm like dang i want to take that picture <laughs> if you've stolen it's from yours, me you've stolen right? twice basically there's no yeah. original 
composition ideas. <laughs> Until a major yeah. earthquake changes the formation of an area of <laughs> yeah, land. You can't get an original photo, <laughs> not in the digital age. Yeah, I mean, the more you can go out and experience new things, you know, new composition ideas, do it. I'm freaking excited to get out there and do some tracking stuff, but I'm not sure if I should do it yet. I should probably start with stacking and we'll work into that. Maybe if I get the funds before the Milky Way season's over this year, I'll get one, but I'm not sure if I'm ready yet. But let's go ahead and take our last break of the podcast. We'll come back with Brendan and do gear time with Eric Benedetti and then tip of the week. Hey, welcome back, guys. And today on Gear Time, we're going to be here with Eric Benedetti, and he is going to uh, talk to us about some of the some of the things that he uses and some of the things he recommends for going out and getting Milky Way shots. We've already covered the, the Sky Tracker quite a bit. Um, is there any other kind of gear or something else that you'd recommend bringing out with you when you go out and do some night sh- shooting? Um, if you don't have an intervalometer, buy one. <laughs> ah, yeah. Even, I mean, I use the $15, $20 ones off Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll just have to Google the specific one for your camera model. But right. those are fantastic if you, you know, um, the, the least amount that you can touch your camera after setting it up, the better off you are in terms of reducing, you know, vibrations or whatever. You know, 15 bucks intervalometer. And if you end up doing um, a tracking mount, you know, most cameras they have a bulb mode, but your options are either tape the exposure button down right. or hold it um, with an intervalometer. You can just set however long you want. Because most of them you can click and like slide in so it locks it. Well, I mean, mine is programmable, like you know. So I just oh, okay. I just program it. If I wanted to take thirty one minute exposures, I could do that. I can tell it to take thirty consecutive exposures mm-hmm. with like a two second gap between exposures, mm-hmm. yeah. or you can set it up for ninety nine hours. It's great for that. Yeah. I did Aaron's that had at a Bryce fun experience Canyon. with that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. The long story short, because you guys have heard it already, is that I put the thing on to my settings. I had it tested. I did some light painting, and then went back. And as I was going through the settings, because you know how you had that radial dial, and it kind of yeah. goes through the settings on a little, like, a paddle? Uh-huh. I paddled up a little bit when I was padding, paddling left or to the right. And so I was going through settings and as I'm on each setting, it was allowing me to change that setting if I wanted to. <laughs> so as I was going through on the hour mark, I you bumped from zero up to one. 99. <laughs> and it, went, it rolled over to 99 hours and I kept going through, never saw that I did it, hit go, went to sleep and I woke up to a white frame. <laughs> it was A depressing. single white frame. <laughs> and the EXIF, the EXIF data showed it was on for how many? Three and a half hours. <laughs> Before the battery died. Yeah, it was just battery laying. <laughs> Oh, I'm so depressed. In fact, I actually got rid of that intervalometer, I think, because I hated that model. <laughs> I, I can't tell you. I, you know, if you've been doing this long enough, you've basically screwed up in every way you can yeah, possibly yeah. imagine. Like with the with the Star Adventure, the way you attach your camera um, is I attach a ball head to the Star Adventure, the bracket. Well, the bracket uses a one-quarter-inch screw, and mm-hmm. every ball head is a three-eighths. Right? right. And so the kind people at Skywatcher are nice enough to include an adapter. Right. Um, so you can attach a ball head, a three-eighths ball head. Oh, nice. Um, and so I, when I first got it, I was like, I'm going to do this great comparison between the Sky Tracker and the Star Adventure. And so I packed up all my gear, like half dozen lenses you know, i wanted to do this like very in-depth comparison at different focal lengths with the two <laughs> cameras that i had and took it all up to moose horn freaking lugged like 50 pounds of gear around that lake and up and over boulders and stuff and i got to the other side set up the sky tracker 
everything's great. Set up the star adventure and I can't find that dang little adapter. And I swear right now, I feel that feeling swear. I triple checked everything before I left. (laughs) I know it was in there. And so later that night, it's like three or four in the morning and, um, some like nasty clouds are rolling over bald mountain. I'm like, Oh crap, I got to get this packed up. And so I'm, I rush back to my bag and I'm throwing one of my cameras in there. I kid you not, that dang adapter fell out of nowhere. Uh, <laughs> just just to taunting you. Just to be like, <laughs> like you just, the whole time. I know. Uh. I, just, I must have wasted like 30, 45 minutes looking for that stupid little adapter. And uh. I don't know where it was. It just, and I swear that's happened to me probably <laughs> half a dozen times. And probably everybody else that goes out there and tries to do Gosh. something. And yeah, it's just, that's one of the worst. Don't let it dismay you though. Like I, I've (laughs) screwed up so many things. Like, like you mentioned leaving your timer on for 99 hours. I like, there's been times where I went to put like a 10 second delay on like, uh, um, my intervalometer so I could take a selfie or whatever. And I actually (laughs) set 10 minutes, you know, or something like that. I'm like, it's getting really tiring. My legs are starting to hurt. Like, I can't hear the shutter. <laughs> and then like I go back and I'm like, oh, I still have nine minutes and 15 <laughs> seconds. You lasted 45 seconds oh, before you got God. sick. <laughs> or, I, or I set like a 30 second exposure or whatever. And it went off faster than I expected or something. I get up like halfway through the exposure and I walk back to the camera. And then as soon as you get to the camera, you hear the shutter close. You're like, ah. Yeah, <laughs> gotta do it again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually something that universally right now everyone's laughing at and just commiserating and feeling that pain from a memory that they have specifically. They're having that post-traumatic stress mm-hmm. come back and just to remind so themselves of it. I use what's called a Batonov focusing mask. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. um, I just like these. I have with the Starfinder too that um, Ian Norman has. It uses yes. a Batonov mask. Yeah, has that X pattern. So. <laughs> I, like you, set, instead of a 99-minute exposure, I set my sequence of exposures, like 50, you know, exposures of three minutes or whatever. And I checked my focus with the mask on, and I forgot to take the mask off. Oh, <laughs> the whole come back, and there's like oh. 50 exposures of beautiful star spikes. And <laughs> oh, my God. God, uh, animate them now. <laughs> and I've done that a couple times, you know. So it's not something <laughs> if you screw up, don't think it's the end of the world. You'll you'll just be like the rest of us. Yeah, <laughs> it's natural. It's normal. And you'll do yeah. it a lot. I mean, if there's one thing about astrophotography is it's extremely complicated and there's a million things that can go wrong and will go wrong. Oh, yeah. There's so many. <laughs> and you're doing it all here. in the dark. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep, yeah. exactly. Now we're going into tip of the week, and really what I want you to tell us is you're a beginner. You, you are so – okay, let's say it this way. For someone who's been there and done that for multiple years now and you know it, what do you know now that you wish you knew at the beginning of starting this part of astrophotography that you would give us? I think there's a lot of – general advice for this hobby. That's great. Um, you know, the general advice is if you have the money, buy full frame and, and buy, you know, an expensive lens and and all this other stuff. I would advise against that very much. I would advise buying something like a Nikon D 7,000 or a Canon T five. I, you know, those are very reasonably priced cameras Mm -hmm. and, 
I would advise against buying a lens like the Tekina 11 to 16 f 2.8 or the Rokinen 14 millimeter 2.8. You'd I would, advise against the yes, Rokinen? Yes, I would. I would tell you to buy something like the Rokinen 16 millimeter f 2.0 or the Rokinen 24 millimeter f 1.4. Those lenses aren't so expensive, but quality wise, they are a lot better. Um, larger your, apertures it sounds lar- like what you're going for at least one full stop with the f2 mm-hmm. two full stops with the 24 millimeter f1.4 you're thinking rule of 500 you know my exposure can only be 20 seconds with the 24 millimeter or you know 25 right, right. or I, whereas i could take 35 with the 11 to 16 forget that the quality <laughs> of the lens allowing you one or two more full stops of aperture is more than you can get with an extra six seconds of exposure time. Um, and your pictures, I guarantee your pictures will be immensely better because the light collecting power of those lenses is so much better than the F 2.8 to and Rokinens and, and all that kind of stuff. Or like and the F two point eight Tamron that I use a lot for the fifteen millimeter. Let me tell you, I've I've bought fifteen lenses. Uh, I've I've used in the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I've gone through so many lenses for this hobby. Every, everything from ten millimeters up to six hundred millimeters, <laughs> and everything from f one point four to like friggin' f fifteen. You know, like <laughs> I, I've. I've tried so much and I'm telling you, if you're just getting into this hobby, don't worry about buying full frame. Everyone's going to say you need full frame for, you know, light sensitivity. You really don't. No, you don't. Buy yourself a decent entry level D7000, D7200 is the newest version of that. Canon T5i, go out, buy it you know, a moderate lens, like the 24 millimeter 1.4, people are going to be like, Oh, that's not wide enough. You know, you're gonna have to do a lot of stitching or whatever. So what you want panorama, it takes five seconds to stitch three pictures together. Like who cares? Right. (laughs) But a 24 millimeter 1.4 is going to collect five times as much light in a single exposure as a, to kind of 11 to 16 F 2.8, you know, Mm. it's a huge advice. And the sharpness, being a prime yeah. as well as you do. Holy cow. So yeah, valuable. You're at 24 millimeters. You're not going to deal with rotational distortion. You're going to have much less chromatic aberration. Mm-hmm. You're going to have zero coma. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You have a super that clean image. Awesome. Your, your picture is going to be so much better. I'm telling that's, that's what I would tell people. So if you could cool. prioritize anything, prioritize an aperture size first, cause you want to yes. have that light collecting yes. power beyond having a wide focal length. So if I could just give one more little, metaphor we will take it i do stem cell research right so i do biological research so a lot of the things i compare technology wise end up having a correlated thing biology wise Mm -hmm. so what is a camera and lens that your body has eyeballs your eyes your eyes are a camera and lens right so your eye has essentially a focal length of about nine millimeters. Is that? Because I keep hearing 32, 35. No. Like, what is it? No. It makes more sense that it's nine. nine. Your so pupil wide. can yeah. maximally dilate nine millimeters. Awesome. Depending on the person, it could be even less. Your eye has an aperture of two. So F2. Mm. Really? You had a way of proving that? That's not interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so, the so your eye is essentially a nine millimeter F2 mm. point lens. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Compare that to a Tekina F2.8. Basically, Trash. your eye is 
better than a, a Takana 11 millimeter f 2.8. And you mm. want to use that lens for astrophotography in a, in a setting where there's almost zero light. You know, mm, that's a really interesting point. Whereas when you look at something like the Rokinen 24 millimeter f 1.4, or I use the Sigma art 35 millimeter f 1.4, mm. you know, your clear aperture area of a 24 millimeter 1.4 is 24 divided by 1.4 your eye is nine divided by two. So it's like substantially better with a 24 millimeter 1.4 in the most simple terms. You know, if you're comparing a lens to your eye, why would you want something that has barely better light collecting ability than your eye where you could get something like the Rokinen 24 millimeter 1.4, which is significantly oh. better than your eye. Good wow. I have I never like looked at it that way. That's awesome. Yeah, that is gold. That is amazing. Okay, can't yeah. wait to use that again. So like we talked about earlier about stealing other people's ideas, <laughs> I'm going to quote that. That's great. <laughs> well, and our listeners get to hear that first, maybe for the first time for a lot of guys. So that's pretty awesome. A lot of people are relieved knowing that they can go <laughs> and focus on that kind of a lens first as a priority for astrophotography. Mm-hmm. I think now hearing that advice, I may have let down Chris Derrick is that he bought a lens that was a 14 millimeter first before he went for the 24 millimeter. And, you know, we were going back and forth on whether the 24 millimeter mm-hmm. 1.4 be better or the 14 millimeter 2.8. I mean, that's not to say you can't get good pictures. No, he has awesome f- pictures from it, and he will. But uh, I think in terms of, you know, when you start doing this for a while, there will be certain things you see in images um, across the interwebs. And you'll see that 90%, 95% of images are very, very similar mm-hmm. in terms of, like, you know, little quality aspects that stand out to you. And then you'll see people who delve into using... 24, 35, 50 millimeter lenses like Paul Wilson. Do you know who Paul Wilson is? That's not a name I'm knowing, no. He takes fantastic Milky Way exposures, you know, pictures. And he uses a 50 millimeter mm. lens. <laughs> and if you, I mean, he takes gigapan pictures. Do you know what a gigapan is? Like it's just a gigantic bright, panorama. Huge, huge picture. Gigabyte right? of information. Just. I mean, he's one of the best in the world. And, and the detail and the sharpness and the quality that you get in his images is because he's using that kind of lens. It's not because he's you know, doing some crazy voodoo magic. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's, yeah. When you look at 95% of the pictures on the internet of nightscapes it's by people using lenses that are 10 millimeters to 15 millimeters and they're Mm -hmm. using f 2.8 and there's lots of coma and chromatic aberration and rotational distortion you know and those are things you'll you pick up you know when you've been doing this for a while and you're like okay if i want better pictures you want a sharper lens you want something Mm -hmm. that collect a lot of light in a short amount of time and those wide angle lenses just can't do that that's awesome thank you so much Eric thanks for joining us and hanging out with us for an hour and 20 minutes we have loved this thank you guys for giving us your questions on the Facebook listener group if you want to follow Eric go to his website all of his works there on ericbenedettiphotography.com so that is a long word I will not begin to spell but uh, (laughs) B-E-N-E-D-E-T-T-I is his last name and you can find it on our show notes at photogadventures.com go for this post of this podcast and you will find it and go to his website ericbenedettiphotography.com you can follow thanks for having me hey thanks Eric thanks for joining us you know if you go to the website send me questions I love when people ask me questions I try very hard to give simple technical 
inclinations for any questions and I cool. try hard to answer as quickly as possible. Well, so, that's cool. awesome. You mentioned Reddit. Maybe we'll have to do an AMA sometime when we yeah. get on there. Let's do it. Yeah. We haven't done an AMA yet. So we can get ripped adventures. apart by Roger Clark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this will be a private event. Roger Clark, if you happen to be listening to this podcast, we actually do love your feedback and your information but you're just a little abrasive with your, your approach. And so that's why we like to tease, but we do really appreciate and respect you, man. So thanks everybody. Yeah. Hope you guys have a great week. And thanks guys. And have a good week. Enjoy the Milky Way coming up soon. It's full yes. moon right now, but you can get out the Milky Way soon. So pay attention to your area and see when it comes out before area. or after the moon and right. depending on your thought. <laughs> so have a good week guys. All right. <laughs>